Welcome to the Building Great Teams podcast. My name is Christian Hughes. I have a background in psychology and I've been very fortunate to work with some of the greatest elite teams in this country over the last 20 years. This podcast is about the art and science of building a great team. And we're going to be talking to players, coaches and analysts of some of the most successful elite sporting teams in this country over the last 25 years to understand how do they do it. This podcast is for sporting nerds, for aspiring coaches, and for business leaders wanting to learn from the best. It's going to be practical. There's going to be transferable tips, inspiring stories of achievement. But underpinning all of that is trying to get underneath what is it that made these teams successful and did the people involved know as that journey was unfolding. And this podcast, we hope, will become a real favorite for those who want to learn more about how to build great teams. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Building Great Teams podcast. Today, we're going to be talking culture with um, two gentlemen from the Saracens Rugby Club, ex-players. Saracens had a team between 2010 and 2019 that were England's most successful rugby club. They won five Premier Rugby Championships, uh, three European Cups. And we're joined today by Chris Wiles, who's the um, top try scorer for Saracens. And by George Cruz, who had 45 caps for England and 185 caps for Saracens. Welcome, gentlemen. Welcome. Thanks for having us on. Absolutely. So we're going to talk culture, and I think this is a, a concept and an idea that's very much in the media. The trouble is it's a bit ill-defined, I and mean, I want to get under the skin of what it was like being in Saracens during a successful period, what the team felt like, what it was like when you came into the team, and a bit about some of the mechanisms that created the culture um, uh, so that we can get a bit more of an understanding of how it worked. So if I perhaps turn to you to start, Chris, what was it like when you came into the team as a youth player? What were your first sort of um, experiences of the team and, and the culture? Yeah, well, I, I first joined in 2008. So uh, interestingly, Eddie Jones signed me. Um, and at the time we were, um, I mean, he's a great coach, but we were in a, a tricky situation, uh, sort of mid-table um, some really great players. And so that 2008 season, 2008, 2009, I think George was in the academy at the time, it was like a classic Sarri season. I think we finished ninth. Um, we had some fantastic players, but we weren't really performing. So um, that was my first season, and that was really interesting in the context that we started hearing that some South Africans were going to take over the the, um, the club. Brandon Venter had a bit of a um, a walk through the club like towards the end of the season but no one knew what was really going on and um, and he came in in that that next season and I would say just the the clarity and the 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 change up was just sort of very phenomenal just super clear um, in terms of how he's going to run the club um, focused on what we weren't doing that well which was we didn't have an identity we had lots of star players but we didn't really no one really knew what Saracen stood for, and he came in with a very, very clear vision. Um, so that was the, that was the starting point for me, um, and it was kind of. I, I'm glad that I had that first season at Saracens under Eddie because I sort of could relate to what it was before, rather than just joining when they, when they, um, when the new South Africans came in, which was Ed Griffiths and Brendan Venter and and the, uh, um, the investment team behind that. So it was it was uh, it was an interesting time. But it was super clear. Yeah. 
Um, we can get in, we can get into all that yeah. detail, but okay, I'm going to touch on on vision and, and probably what that meant to you both in a second. But but George, to bring you in, what was your first experience coming into the Saracens team? When was it, and and what was your sense of the team at the time? Um, first, I probably pretty much like Wales you said. Like, you came and you got a feel that something wasn't right. Um, you, yeah. you weighed 10 kg. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> the, the first day I walked. Yeah, no, I won't go into that. Anyway, <laughs> but um, I, I think you, you'd gone to Saris knowing that the last like six years they'd had pretty much six different coaches or something like that. Like the turnover was high. I guess the, the the indicator that a club isn't probably healthy is that you've got 15, 16, 17, 20 people leaving at the end of every season, which is, you know, a third, if not more, of your squad. Um, that was happening regularly. Uh, you've also, like, you, the imbalance of probably pay was 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 mad. Like, you'd see some players who clearly would be on heaps of money. Was that publicised? Did you have access like, to those you, figures? You'd, you'd know, right? Mm. I mean, did you feel that? Yeah, you had, like, some big-time players that you knew yeah. were getting, in order to stay. Yeah. They yeah, had they to be getting paid well. Was this before salary cap rules were tightened? Uh, yeah, but it just in general. So before I'd, I'd camp and between like 2000, and then when I when I was there, maybe the first two months there was a we had something called Black Monday or Black Friday where basically they just culled half the team, you know. And and I, I was there as someone coming into a club going, okay, well, is this just a repeat of what's already been happening? We've already been happening, but I think to touch on because every every coach comes and says, no, it's going to be new. We're going to do this, and then you know. As you see in throughout football, throughout rugby, you do see people turn over. So I think for me, it was like to touch on Wilesy's point was Brendan did come in with like very clear directives. They 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 selected players which weren't necessarily like the best players in the world. They were like some of the best grafters in the world, and they came in with a, a game plan and a sort of a mentality that like we're going to set a foundation first, and it might be boring, it might be ugly, but. We'll do that, and that wasn't just on the field. I think it was across the the sort of the the rest of the the squad, the culture, and I guess that was the, maybe the the standpoint. And then from there, you can go and build, uh, and I'm sure we'll get into that. And I think <coughs> as a, an outsider looking in, and I say an outsider, I, I've worked with some of the back backroom staff at Saracen, so I've got some insight um, to to how the the culture grew. But the the sense of identity that I think probably is in the public domain around Saracens is hard work, it's graft, it's discipline, it's, uh, and perhaps even that extends into the tactical play of being a defence or counter-attack minded team. Was that clear in Brendan's direction from the beginning that that was part of what he wanted? Yeah, so like I would say the first two years of Brendan's tenure was, was the, 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 the rawest form of our culture right. mm. um, in a real positive way. So, so just going back to what George said, and you just ma made it a bit more clear. Um, I wasn't super experienced when I joined the team in 2008 um, when we had that first tough year. But he comes in, he, he culls, culls sort of 15 players, yeah. makes a huge statement, turns up for preseason, meeting one, and he's frothing at the mouth, and he's... Literally, quite literally, literally frothing. Literally frothing at the mouth. Right, and he's got something in me. <laughs> Too much coffee. Yeah. Yeah. But he's like... Really articulate, extremely motivational. Yep. You know exactly what's expected. You know what he was like as a player, just the way he holds himself. It was just so, so clear that we're going to be a bunch of, um, and again, these are a bit of cliches, but a bunch of brothers who are going to come together and we're going to fight for each other. And it's going to be a game based on kicking and hard work. And he's already made his statement, though, by we haven't got the superstars. Mm. So he's already made the statement. 
we look around the room and there are a few South African signings that no one knows, but you can tell are good guys and good athletes. And so it was like the contract that he first laid on the table, this verbal contract was super clear. So I think even though I had been at a few clubs, we had the preseason meeting, what your goals, expectations are, and you go through the motions. This wasn't a going through the motions exercise. It was like, oh shit, this is Brendan Venter and he's laid down the law and it's super clear. And so that was reflected in training, it was reflected in how we behaved off the pitch. There's a big people-centered thing here as well, which, mm. which is Brendan's background as well. Um, focusing on on the person holistically, not just uh, as a as a piece of meat athlete. So it all came together like just really clearly. Uh, I'm interested in that start of a journey um, that you you both were on around doubt and belief. And if you've just seen half the team you know, mm. culled, especially those which would be you know, publicly recognised names, players that that probably played for England, was there a part of you thinking, shit, what what have we done here? Are we what are we left with? It's hard work. Is that going to be enough? Mm. Uh, yeah, I think the the fact that the people maybe who are weeded out or cut, or cut you know, that sometimes when you have status or it is like that, maybe work rate isn't the forefront of what you're doing. Um, you know, you, you, you rely on things a bit too much. I think what he did was he just, it was a, it was a whole change based on people who are just going to graft. And I think that, that in itself is such a big sort of um, statement that you either buy in or you don't. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, I, just, I thought that was a, a genius sort of piece of work. But but also, it's like the, we it understood that that was the beginning of the project. It wasn't like we were going to be playing this type of rugby with like flair and everything. It was understood that that this is the beginning of a project that might be five, ten years. Uh, and you could see that, you know. It, when it's easy and simple, it's it's easy to buy into. I think if you try and say, right, we're going to play like this, do this, do like a number of different things, which are a bit more technical, and you know you might need more skillful players or whatever, it's quite hard to buy into. So yeah. the fact that he like picked people on, are they good people, and are they going to work hard? Like any time you'd you'd have asked, okay, what's this new South African player like, or what's this new player like, you know the answer would have been, yeah, he can work. So like that that would be is probably a more of a change of mindset through using the people around him and that was his, the big statement I, I think it was less about in some ways I think it was less about the people that left because they're still mm. they were still you know fantastic rugby players mm. and great people um, you know the Chris Jacks of this world just circumstantially this wasn't the right time for them and what it meant to answer your question is it brought everyone together you're like wow he's made this huge statement he's trusted us to be here um, majority of which weren't um, very established in their careers and so you had to buy into it and come together. I, I think it was, a, it was as Cruz I said, it was a genius move because rather than making me doubt what was going on, it was like, wow, we're going to be part of this. It's time to roll the sleeves up and, and get to work you, and prove that this is the... Um, and, and make essentially, I think everyone was trying to earn respect off Brendan. Yeah. <laughs> was, was what was happening. Do you think there was a, a simplification, in, a positive simplification around yeah. having a hard work message? Because yeah, every, yeah. anyone can do that, theoretically at least. Yeah. You, that's, a, that's an effort thing rather than a skill thing. Did that bring it, did that, was that a levelling of the playing field for you guys? Yeah, it was. And like, I know we discussed plenty of times, um, you know, the whole, the whole mantra of a, like an effort error or a skill error, like it was, the whole year was based around, you know, how, you know, how much effort can you put in and, and you'd be told off if it wasn't, you know, if, if you weren't putting the right effort in, but you'd never be told off for like a, a skill error or something, which was kind of in, in doubt. But 
ultimately when you've got that many people working together for you know a similar pushing the right in the same direction it's, it's all the cliches mm. but it, it is if you if you've actually got people switched in pushing the same direction it just becomes a lot easier so just for for those that are not familiar with the effort error skill error concept um perhaps if i paraphrase it and you can tell me where i'm way off base th this is the idea that if that the responsibility for a skill error was the coaches if they if there was something that went wrong on the field that was skills based mm. that was because the coaches hadn't coached well enough whereas if there was an effort error if you didn't get up and get back into the line or make a tackle or, or whatever was considered an effort um that was the responsibility of the players is that how it was communicated and, and when was it first communicated that idea yeah, I mean, that's pretty much bang on. I, I can't remember when it flowed into, like, our communication, but probably pretty pretty early on, I assume. Mm. But it, And it would it would kind of come to life, I would say, the, the obvious time where it came to life was in uh, post-game analysis, which is you see a beautiful try by, you know, a winger, normally not me because I don't score beautiful <laughs> tries. Um, but a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> dot down in the Just corner. Dot down in the corner. Um, but we would focus on the build-up and the unseen work. And um, again, even talking about it now, it kind of sounds like a lot of clubs now probably do this, but I think at mm. the time it was pretty unusual. So we would focus on um, the guy that put pressure on a kick, which allowed our fullback to, to retain a kick closer into the halfway line, which then meant we were deep into their territory again, or someone who um, made an effort on effort in a chase, like Cruzo getting up off a ruck and then, chasing down another kick so it just meant that you were judged by those efforts and yeah and skill was the responsibility of the the organization the coaches uh and it meant again all, all it comes down to is like a clear verbal contract like um now bleeding into some of the other stuff we did is like you work really hard for us and then we'll treat you really well holistically yeah no i can i can see how that's run through through saracens just picking up on that um you know, the pressure on the kicker, though the sort of I think they called it the shit that people don't see. Is that mm. is that the phrase you used internally? Um, how was that uh, ingrained in the culture? Was that part of awards? Was that in the the after games where it was highlighted as these are the sort of I'm going to call them behaviours slightly because they're they're more about motivation mm. and will rather than skill, perhaps. How how did it play out? How did they get that message across to coaches? Yeah, like there's, there's there's cameras there everywhere now. You know, there, there are so many different angles. There's so much stuff. You've got GPSs on. You've got you've got everything to track what you're doing. Um, and like Wilesy said, like you know, the highlights, the, the things that the media will pick up on, the things that the you know maybe you might get signed for or whatever in in a normal club, they are things which you know are the, are the big flashy things. But realistically, there is like a game is made of thousands and thousands of small little movements and it's like it's a coach's job to tell you like you've got to get be in this position and do this but the, the smaller things are and where you, where teams the bedrock of where a team will win is if you've got people doing stuff off the ball which contributes to the the finest thing uh, and that is like you know pushing in a scrum or say like you, no one really can tell who's pushing a scrum but you know if you win the penalty consistently and everyone's pushing like that helps the team immeasurably so it's those things like it's like getting back off the ball uh, and chasing back when it's when you know when you don't have ball in hand they all there's like there's, there's like a formula in way of how to win a game and these sort of things are like small minute things but clearly added up become huge and I think the way that like they're celebrated is you know they're, they're picked out and and they'll be like the, the biggest celebrations and the biggest awards will go to those people rather than just 
you know, has Wowsey scored a two meter try in the corner because because <laughs> the Ford, because the forwards have done all the work. So like it, it's it does all feedback, and I think teams that consistently win uh, are teams that really focus on those small, harder graft bits, and they will get players who, you know, they'll recruit players who can do that consistently. They'll their recruitment will focus on that rather than you know the big flashy stuff, and it, and it kind of snowballs when you've got a lot of people understanding that. That is the small things consistently. It's, it's quite interesting just drawing a parallel with business in that in a lot of organisations, and especially with rugby players I've worked with who've come across into business, it's a bit of a transformation where they see in teams that, that cohesion isn't there and, and there's a, a real focus on the salesperson, the individual mm. doing the big deal and that sense of all the different departments that have contributed to that deal, they don't kind of get any sense of recognition in the same way that the salesperson does which I suspect is is one of the reasons why some teams in business struggle, whereas teams like, like yours had successful periods. I, I want to bring it around to sort of values and sort of, again, linking a bit to business in that we've worked with a lot of organisations that have values, but it can be very difficult to see how those values are being played out in an organisation, whereas I think with, with the Saracens values, it seemed very clear that they they rolled out into the way you played the game, the way you you helped and supported each other. I think if I can remember them right, then discipline, work rate, humility, and honesty. When was your sort of first experience of this? Was this a coach's thing where they said, let's get a bunch of values together? How, how did that come to be, those those four values? It was actually three originally. Mm. I think we added humility once we had won the first premiership. It was driven by Brendan. And it, it just all comes back down to him being like a force of nature for me, mm. uh, just like a force of nature and super clear with what he expected. Um, I, I would may maybe just to like sidetrack from those three values. I, I remember him coming in. I, this is, I will remember this like um, forever and I'll take this with me everywhere. It's kind of linked to our values. He, 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 would, he would often come into the to team meetings and you'd go off on like a five minute monologue. It was like, a, it was like he was preaching. Right, yeah, it was quite. You just we do. There'd always be some like <clears throat> little like five minute discussion about, or not discussion, like tell it, like inspirational chat from him, and one of them was, um, he was like, just want to talk to you about respect, and I, so just going back to George's point, I feel like, um, the cultural piece, the amalgamation of this clear contract about work rate, looking after us, um, holistically, and we can get into more detail about that in terms of. Um, you know whether that's life after sport or some issues you've got now, study, family issues, personal personal issues, um, treating you really well, so having trips together and going out, it all meant that you were trying desperately to earn the respect of the club, to like make sure you you still um, were adding value, and Brendan was, he said this, he said uh, it can take weeks, months, years to earn respect, and you can lose it in an instant. As I, for me, I'm not sure how if that resonated with with everyone at the time. And I think it, I, it kind of feels like the bedrock because mm. you go out on the pitch and you um, look at your GPS and everyone and it's on the board and everyone sees it and you've not put the effort in and you've just been on a trip or um, they've looked after your family because of some sort of issue. You've just massively let them down. So um, I think, and maybe I'm speaking for myself, my, the thing that Sari's created for me is I was constantly trying to earn respect. So it's like, how hard can I run here? How hard can I run at someone? How hard can I tackle? Like, And then when you get an award, because you're one of the guys that does the unseen work, you're like, this is amazing. Mm. So um, 
that respect, I felt like that was a bit of a bedrock that then set the tone for the values. Uh, because if you if you weren't humble, if you uh, weren't sh um, showing hot work rate, then you're you're losing that respect, and it takes another few months, years to earn that back again. It's it's such a like precious thing. Was it called out? If there were behaviours, I mean, oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. yeah Who would be doing that? Is that players or is that coaches? Um, players, coaches, but a lot of it's probably self-led. You know, like yeah. you know, if you, you like, of course, people are gonna like, you know, you've got forty, fifty, sixty, somewhat young, you know, competitive, and there's gonna be things that happen off-field, on-field. Um, but ultimately, I think you, you you get called out. You'd know yourself, but ultimately you get squeezed out and you you know if you're a player that consistently does it you just won't be there in a year or two that that's the ultimate sort of final line and, and you see lo loads of players have that and i think we're at a point where you know we were getting to pick players and you know like players that weren't making it were getting squeezed out so instead of having like a turnover like i talked about earlier of like 15 players a year it was like okay well these people are retiring because they're desperate to stay here as long as possible uh, a couple of players might be squeezed out and then you know you get the the pick of the bunch to come in so i think that's the, when you know you've got okay that's the the other end of the scale and you know like it's firing pretty well is that you've got people desperate to stay on retire and sort of stay there as long as possible and your turnovers down and so on but i think to look back to the the what do you call them what like the the key pillars i don't know i, I don't know how you felt but i never really i never like I never really thought it was a a big thing. I never, I never, like there'd be plasters on the walls. I think it was more for me. It was more for like the fans and more for like the the brand and the story. I, I wouldn't necessarily. I think the 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 fact Wilesy was like it was a respect thing. It was the you know the living bit type thing rather than you know oh, are we being honest? Are we working? Are we doing this? I don't know. I, I thought they were just kind of words, but that's it, my take. I'm less they sort of weaved, poetic around that. They sort, sort of stuff. weaved it in, at, but yeah. it. Because it became self-policing, mm. we did try and bring those words to life. But yeah, we got. I think when, it, but no, do players like buy into that? Players buy into the fact that you get treated well. You get yeah, go yeah. on trips. You go on like hard fact stuff. I wouldn't say a, like you be a player going home going, oh, I'm gonna try to do the like I'm gonna staple myself on these four things. I think I think maybe at the very beginning. Do you remember? So Brendan with the first three values, we yeah. we, we also kind of linked in the tape. There was like so you. Um, it's gonna be embarrassing because oh, yeah, yeah, I can't yeah. exactly remember them, but one would be, I oh, think like blue was for magic. So like, you know, the only yeah. person at the time in our first year who had a bit of magic was Sculpt Brit, <laughs> so we had like blue everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And then white was, whole body was white blue. was uh, uh, hard work and red was discipline. Because yeah. discipline- These were handed out or? Uh, you, you would just, you would select, you would yourself, select really. yourself what you'd put on, you know, whether it's like wrist um, tape for or- For match days? For or match or, day, yeah. right. And, and can I not to go off on a on a on like different rabbit holes, but I I do also think that when I look back at Saracen's time and I was there for ten years, the culture shifts, yeah. expectations shift. Like when I say that raw, raw culture we had in the first two years, and I'll come back to answer Crusoe's point on the pillars. Those first two years, I think we probably did really buy into those, like the work rate and the mm. discipline and the honesty, and we would tape ourselves and. And that worked to win our first premiership. But then move from years two through to like six to become European champions, to become like consistently sex successful. We need to start layering in more nuance to just this idea that we're a band of brothers. No one's that well known. Mm. Th these boys start coming through. The England boys start coming through. They get um, they start adding a more performance element to it. 
it can't just all all of us being around kicking a ball and drinking like mm. you know the influence the influence of, of of owen and these england guys who like um we have to reshape our focus a bit so this culture is not just like we're not i don't think it's just one body of work so to answer i think i i to maybe agree with you as we got on in the years yeah those pillars became we had set the foundation yeah so it was almost self-policing i think you're right maybe those pillars became less influential than it was more like oh shit george i just don't want to lose you i don't want to lose the respect here and i could i could see that in at the start of a business i could see that at the start of a sport was a business as well but like if you've got big companies that have been going for 15 years and you join and you just look at the, the words on the wall, you're like, oh, that's cool, yeah, brilliant. There's no way you're buying into that. No. So it's like, it's yeah, I, I agree. They they can they stand as like a, a focus point or, or, a, or a catalyst for, you know, maybe a, a phase in time. But mm. if, well, you think, if you think that like words on, you know, four pillars or whatever is really going to motivate or drive you, I, 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 yeah. I disagree, but perhaps um, just to bring it to life a little bit, then a couple of areas I want to uh, sort of touch on before we get into some of the things that go wrong uh, mm. within an organisation and how you how you fix them within a culture. Um, communication. So we've talked a bit of a large chunk really around off field um, activities. What about sort of on field? Where, where where did you feel like that hard work aspect and the pillars of, of your team started to impact the way you communicated? And I think perhaps just to contextualize that question a tiny bit, um, I think working with some of the, the, the team, the psychologist at um, Saracens, the sort of social capital team cohesion concept mm. of, of closeness, of the strength of relationships of the group, was a big thing when when we started doing work with Saracens. When you got on the field, how did you feel that? Like, how how did you know whether that was a thing or not? Did you mm. know it was a thing or not? Did uh, you have a yeah. sense what you knew what people were going to do? Yeah, I think I think uh, a large part is that you know if you're going to pick a uh, a pillar, um, I think honesty was would be a good one. So like, Wowsy could be is more senior to me uh there'd have to be a, a level of respect on that sense but then you know i think i think he'd be able, i'd be able to tell him if i thought he was doing something that was affecting my area uh like if we had won a line out or something and then he didn't chase like or whatever it was or but then he'd also be able to tell me i think that that open honesty sort of thing where you can cut to the chase uh you can really only do that when you've got a level of respect for each other uh and you've got a level of sort of team first respect so is it is it in the interest of of the team uh ca can we like can he talk openly and bluntly to me and do i take that on board i think all those sort of things you have to have a pretty deep culture to be able to for me not to go oh piss off Wilson. presumably some of that is about trust right if someone calls yeah. you out and you think that they're just yeah they're yeah show or they're doing yeah. it because they're whatever yeah. whereas if you think yeah they're probably calling this out because they want the team to be better yeah yeah so that i think that's a that's a big that's a big level of that i, I actually don't think I think by the time we got on, at when we were continued success on the pitch, we were just yeah. like a machine. Yeah, yeah. Everything just flowed. Yeah. I don't think the comms side on the pitch, in the game, was that pertinent. I think the more pertinent element was uh, post-match analysis or, yeah. or pre-match comms. So much is done off field. So and much is done. Off -field. Talk me through that and say, so take me into a, tra a changing room before a game. What are, what is the sort of is that what you meant by pre-match, or did you mean further the captain's run? And uh, I, well, yeah, it, that element, but like the build-up in the week. Yeah, it's like how you communicate on the training pitch. 
Well, let's walk through that because I suspect some of the listeners won't be familiar with what a, a, you know, a match day week looks like. Mm. So walk me through sort of from Monday to Saturday game. Well, I mean, maybe the, fir like the first interesting point will be uh, you've played on Saturday, you've had a Sunday off, you come into the training ground and it's those first meetings yeah. where you're reviewing... Sure, Monday. A Monday, where you're reviewing the game and you know, again, if you've, if you've not put the effort in, you know something's coming. There's going to be some analysis. And um, I think that first kind of... Uh, the forwards and backs were split and then we have a team meeting, certainly when I was there, a team meeting in the afternoon. It was always very short and snappy. So when it was in front of the whole group, um, you would you would call out like the macro points around the team, like what we've done well. And then when it came to to like maybe some um, some hard lessons because you haven't performed, or um, th they would think this through very carefully. So it'd probably be in micro conversations with coaches on a one to one basis. On a one to one yeah, with but a you, laptop, but you still so you had see it. you still yeah. had difficult conversations. But this. I, and like overall, maybe not to get too nuanced into it, say on a Monday, they d the coaches would think very, very deeply about which coach spoke to which player mm. and in which way. And um, we probably didn't get to see all of that. Like, yeah. you know, with maybe someone like me, I'm a bit more emotional around the game. They would, I'd get like Sanders would normally come to me and first we'll say, ask, how are you doing? And we'd have a bit of chat. How many beers do you have on a Saturday? And try and bring the, the, the tone back down to a more like personable, emotional, where someone like a, uh, someone like more process driven, just like wants it straight away. Is that Owen or Maro? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, um, I mean Owen always always jumps to mind because he's he just wants to know as it you know he's very um, he knows what he wants and how he wants it. So like the feedback can be maybe a bit more simple with him. Um, so uh, that's Monday. I probably I've, that sounds <laughs> oh, no, so not, convoluted, doesn't it? But let's not do the whole week. Will we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's take the high points. And uh, Tuesday morning, have a coffee. No, yeah. All I'm all I'm trying to say is, when you get on the pitch, we yeah. were so clear. I knew my role. Yeah. They're just little. That that communication point on the pitch was just seamless when we were yeah. playing well. The correlation between and good preparation and a good performance is unbelievable. Like you can prep crap. And you can uh, go and win really well, but like you do that overseas, and you become a shit team. So yeah. if you prep well consistently, because you know you play for eighty minutes, but you train for the whole week, and that's where all your learnings, all your works on on the small effort things, all that that's where you build your habits. So I think the yeah the correlation between prepping well consistently for a number of weeks, especially leading into like big games. You know, you, the emphasis is on that just as much as on the performance itself. What about sort of before game, like literally you know, 20, 30 minutes before the game? Were you having in-game analysis at this point in video live on screen so you could do no, half-time conversations where you yeah. adapt? Or was that not present at that stage? Yeah, you you do some walkthroughs. So like your, yeah. the leaders within each different group would talk through, right? Just a, a, basically a basic summary of what's happened in the week, what we think is coming. Uh, you know, you'll probably have some You'll know the team by then, so you might you might talk a little bit about that. You might you know you'll be at the ground, so you'll know the conditions. You'll get a feel for you know if it's going to be really loud or if it's really wet or those sort of things. So you, you talk probably a bit more current. You might talk about the ref or you know just just little reminders, and you know it will be summarised with what are the, the the key top two things we're going after basically, or you know how we start the game. Those sort of a bit more pinpoint at that point it's just a recap though I wouldn't say anything presumably the, but your your role in calling the lineouts mm. that's quite an interesting communication element like in terms yeah. of you being on song for that 
I didn't have that in game. I didn't have to call line outs. I, I, you know, they're just like little conversations with players next to me, but you're having to run a line out. That's And how many variations are you having to keep in your head yeah. or do you have three or four that you're just going to do for that game? Yeah, again, and that's why I probably harp on about the prep work. It's like 80% of winning good ball on the line out in the weekend is all done, you know, in scenario building in the week. It's all done. If someone does this, we do this. It's, it's practice. You know, and that's when I think really good players, they look really good or they make really good decisions because they've just built up all the scenarios and they've, they've got the confidence of the group within the within the week rather than just, you know, rocking up and going, right, we're going to do this now. I think it's all it's all like pre-planned. It's it's all a bit of a, bit of a, it's a you know, you're entering the stage, but you've done all the prep before. Um, but yeah, I think the, the on-field communication is probably, that's a, that's a channel between sort of maybe your line outs guy your scrum guy your nine and your ten that's sort of that's where the heap of all the chat will come from I'd say in terms of planning the game a lot of it will come from the ten and that's it kind of pushed towards okay well what do we want to do in this scenario um you know so on that just talk to me a bit about personalities you guys have both worked in in probably environments where you've had strong personalities mm. um uh, without naming any specific people the sort of power dynamic for a better expression who has the loudest voice mm. is that always the 10 or is it you know certain people with certain personalities come to the fore how does that play out in the different teams you've worked in mm, balance really like you might you might get a young 10 who's growing into it you might get an older 10 who's pretty highly confident in himself and the but a good player will always have to take like they'll have to delegate so a good player will you know the 10 might not know as much about a scrum, or clearly won't know as much about scrum as a, you know, as a hooker would, and therefore, you know, there's delegation. You know, if you've got a hooker who's captain, obviously won't know exactly how to pull the strings of what a ten will be. So, a good functioning team will always have that that delegation and always have that sort of question of, all right, like, what are the options here? All right, we'll pick these. It's, it'll be a bit of a bit of a combined, um, yeah, a combined uh, put together, really. Okay, so. Um We've talked a bit about how you build a culture and what it was like within Saracens when you came in. Um, one final thing that I want to ask before we get on to sort of um, what's it like when it's not working or what, what does that feel like? But before I get to that, um, once you've been in the team for a little while and the messaging is consistent and, and back to your point, um, Chris, earlier about you know, it's, it's like a machine. Mm. Is there ever a danger that you become a bit cynical? So, you you know, you've had 40-plus caps for England mm. and you've probably had a variety of different English managers or managers of England, sorry. Mm. Is there ever a danger that players say, oh, I've heard this before, not another set of values, not another. Mm. Do, you ever have, do you ever have that point? Do you guard against it? What's your experience been? Are there negative influences in camp sometimes who are a bit more cynical, a bit less into the project? Well, from, from a Saracen's perspective, like I alluded to earlier, we went on a bit of a journey of adapting our style of play and our culture, really. Mm. So so um, I think certainly for the, the decade that I was there, there were very... Decade. <laughs> there were very <laughs> that sounds, that sounds so You're only seven when you... Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. The, the 10 years I was there. Yeah. Oh, it was very, like, clear, I think, like, um, different chunks of time. So and mm. throughout when we're changing from being all about the emotion to now bring in performance there are difficult conversations so that, that kept uh i think that kept us quite fresh mm. we were we weren't going to sit still we couldn't just be a bunch of 
guys who played on emotion and win more premierships and win the European title. So we had to adapt. That kept it fresh. I, yeah. Obviously, I'm just talking about through the Sarri, Saracens lens. Um, in terms of other squads that I had been in, yeah, it's very easy to fall into like cliche mode. Yeah. And this goes back to George's point, and I think this is very transferable in business. The point that you talk all this game, good game, values, mission statements, and it, it's not until it come, it has to come to life in some way. And I think again, what Saris are very good at is bringing them to life. So we're gonna look after you holistically. So for example, we're gonna look after you holistically. We're going on these trips. Um, uh, my mum was sick. They looked after my family incredibly well during that period. Will has got his story with Henry. They actually did tangible things to bring those values to life. And so um, I think too often teams, businesses talk about values and actually don't live it and breathe it. I think at Saracens, for the majority of the time I was there, we found ways to live and breathe it and adapt our culture so it kept it fresh. Yeah. 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 Like, you've got to keep people stimulated. So, or, and, and how does that, that's, for one, that's learning. I think you've got to keep learning. I think, um, you know, we're at the start when we talk about, you know, that bedrock of like boring, hard work rugby compared to like 10 years later, completely different team, um, you know, plays very differently, a lot more attacking, a lot more confident. There is also that bedrock of, you know, that. but, but the fact that there's been that, that learning journey um, definitely stimulates a player, keeps them like, you know, keeps them questioning, keeps them guessing, keeps them, that is huge. You've got to keep people like that. Um, the other thing I'd say, you've got to keep them entertained. And, you know, we had coaches which were pretty much like comedians. Uh, <laughs> they, they were, though. Like, yeah, they're just, yeah. you know, like bringing in, bring in lines, bringing in walls, bringing in all sorts, like... Bringing lines. Not like... <laughs> like a no, line no lines, no lines. <laughs> uh, wolves did, though. Scratch wolves. wolves yeah, did like, come in. So you, talk me through that. They brought in, what, no, just but one like, wolf or a pack yeah, of Yeah, so no, you talk about the, the wolf pack, you know, and it's like any, I guess, any coach could talk about a, a wolf pack and, like, try and bring that to life. But like Wiles said, the coaches did a good job of actually bringing stuff to life. So they brought in wolves. You know, they talked about their how many. It was two, it was two, yeah. But they they talked about a how pack? like what, yeah. How many do you need uh, for, a pack? Need for a pack? I think two's enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> freeze the crowd. Two yeah. pack. But they talked about that. They uh, you know delve deeper into that and build like a story around it. I think they're you know they're they are story masters. You know and you know talk about chipping away at the rock and pounding the rock until it cracks. These sort of like these smaller. I guess, um, what do you call it, like fables? Like, yeah, they, 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 yeah, metaphors. They turned into like bigger things, which like, you know chunked the season. So you might have like oh, this bit. They're, they're very well thought out, and I think that's what kept us entertained uh, because you can't just. It is like I'd say what ninety ninety five percent of the messages are the same throughout the season, and you just you know you're talking to smart guys as well, people who are winning decent trophies, figuring stuff out that. You've got to kind of con them into, and this is where I, I from like a line-out perspective, the, the further on my career, you sort of like realise actually, that I know what that coach is doing to me. He's he's tricking me into believing something, you know, and it's like... But, Powers of persuasion. Yeah, yeah, but it's like, he, 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 I didn't come up with that. He came up with that through teaching me how to come up with it. And, and that's sort of like, if you can get a group of players to to stay learning, but also to stay entertained through however that player... You know, interacts, uh, whether it's trips, whether it's you know being involved in systems or whatever it is, then then that is the the bigger thing, and that's how you can like capture an audience for a longer period of time. Because otherwise, it just you're right. Like some coaches, 
have the potential just to go over the same material in the same tone in this and you just like you've lost them pretty quickly but yeah I'd fall back on that the coaches we had were were brilliant at like proper wordsmiths in terms of finding ways to keep it's basically acting finding ways to keep people entertained over a long period of time we had smallly with who brings a lot of pro, like composure mm. and process and structure and then yeah like the guzzies and owls and it was a fall up stand up comedian <laughs> show every show, every, yeah. every monday tuesday yeah. which is brilliant because yeah. you've got 50 guys who you know love that sort of stuff um and and yeah and you can see if you long you see growth in that as well then yeah it's brilliant so um couple of things to touch on then before we wrap up one i wanted to just focus on when it's not going well you know when when there are difficult moments or difficult periods and i think you touched on something off air which i think is quite interesting chris around the point at which um some of the saracen you, know, you get successful some of the team are going to get called up into england or, or into their national teams and there's a bare bones team left behind and that creates almost or it could create a bit of a them and an us oh right you know the glory boys over there while we're having to graft away and still win the championship. What was that like in a, in a period? When yeah, I, I think we, we probably, um, there were some years where we dealt with it really well. And first of all, it was really cool because with this, this whole journey from 2008, I think we were quite fortunate that all the England players, majority of those England players who found success had come through the academy. So, you know, the, the Georges of this world, um, Jamie George and George Cruz, um, you can only feel like delighted for them because they're part of the they're part of the the, the club's makeup, right? So, so that's a nice um, um, sort of default position anyway. But then it just did leave because of that success. That you know, six or seven of you sometimes would be leaving. But I always found again we found through um, through the leadership coaches and some of the the senior players that were left, we would find another way to to reinvent ourselves and that not reinvent ourselves to shape that period so that we all came together focused on you know we haven't got the big players with us well that's this is if, if there's ever a time to come together and show that our culture means something it's to actually win results when they're away and make those boys feel feel great when they come back in because we've done a job for them um and it, you know these are all like Cruzo says when you reflect back on it they're all like nice little ways of yeah. motivating yeah. and story building story building and, but i but again for me and and i'm not and i'm saying this for me but i think it's kind of it was across the board is like it was all wrapped up in respect it's like right yeah. right boys now we're together let's let's earn each other's respect let's go away to sail away on a friday night with our england players come away with the result we'll know they'll be watching because they're playing their test match on the weekend they'll feel feel proud of us um we'll feel you know we'll have earned respect within the group doesn't matter about anyone else like anyone else out of the bubble mm. And then you know we've won points, and they come back, and, and then we kick on and win a win a title. And they're all like little things you can put in to get people motivated. But I I think we got to a stage where it was all so the foundation was so strong that it just it was self policing, and it just it it, it created momentum. We had to shift around um, the, like sort of stories and and shift around the structure of different chunks of the season. But it, for me, it always came back down to the same basic concept of earning respect from each other what was uh, you, you'd, you'd get like you get players who kind of knew their roles within the squad as well and they'd be like right well we're gearing up for when you know maybe internationals are leaving and that's going to be my time and I'm going to put the shift in for the team and 
and that's what I'm going to do for the club in this season. Um, what was it like for you in England camp? Were you? Do you ever get distracted by what's happening at Saracens? Are you ever feeling guilty for not being able to contribute because you're away? Or yeah. what was that sort of... Not really. No. No, <laughs> didn't care. No. No, not in the slightest. Just give me the ball. No, look, look, Walking it, away with a bag of cash and playing for England. He's happy. He's happy. Get out, mate. Get out. Get out. Um, now, nah, like, your, your job is to perform as well as you can. And I think everyone knows that, you know, whilst he's played a heap of times for, for USA, everyone knows that the, the pinnacle is... Um, it, or the end goal is, is to is play as many caps as well. But having said that, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd stand by the fact that I got 90% of my enjoyment through my career through playing at club. Uh, and then we could be very lucky in saying that because we had uh, definitely, you know, not your your standard club. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that, that whole like chunking the storytelling, what, what did you call the, the months when we go away? Machete months. Do you want to elaborate like, on that? <laughs> so, oh, yeah, no one, no one else like, called it that. It was just yeah. me. Yeah. It's, it's like the tin hat month. Yeah, it was like tin hat month. I, yeah, machete month. Was like you know, it was a jungle in front of us. Get your machete out. Hack, a, hack around. Hack away. Get through the other side. It was are only you me. describing a scrum, or are you no, just, just life, just, just life. The four, the four games that life you know you're during the Six Nations. <laughs> yeah. When you haven't, machete when we always month. for some reason we always played sail away. Yeah. Like about eight times, <laughs> and none of our international internationals with us. Sale has have always had a strong team, but they didn't have as many internationals going away. Yeah, massive Islanders in the centres, like big Saffers, just yeah. just like just getting hammered. Like that's this is machete month. No one would no one would join me in that. <laughs> Everyone would just take the piss out of me for it. Um, but I but I it worked it worked for me in my head. I think. Well, on the uh, final piece before we move on to the sort of holistic side to, to wrap up, but um, what about conflicts? You know, you're in a physical sport. Mm. There must be internal conflict, whether that's on a pitch, on a training ground. There's plenty of in-paper stuff about people having a Barney and a punch-up uh, at England level. I don't want to name names, but you know, have you seen much of that and how did you handle it? Yeah, there'd be there'd be some scraps sometimes. I think you had, you, know. you had a few scraps actually, didn't you? Oh, I, I had a regretful scrap with Jack Berger once. Oh yeah, <laughs> he was, how did that he play was, out? He was running his studs over Jackson's neck, um, not lightly. Um, you know, obviously I was significantly younger at that point, but you do you you know you got to stand up for for your for your mates as well. Um, but you know, you get filled in every now and then, it's all right. Um but no, I think like there's always conflict, of course there's conflict, and I think there's conflict in business, there's conflict in any I think like to go back to the point earlier, it was like if you have enough respect between the group but also, you know, for, for your other teammates and it comes from a place which, you know, you it's because you're trying to get somewhere, you're trying to push the boundaries, you're on the edge of trying to improve and um, and be a better team like you know there's going to be difference in opinions there's going to be difference in um, you know concepts and systems and so on and I think as long as it's yeah as long as it's you're looking forward and it's like this is a team first thing then I think it's fine to fly in um, but the, the the bigger thing and the more like you the closer the group gets the more you can like understand people's personalities you can understand that you know Chris might do something different to me I might do something different to him but if we can find some sort of medium then that clearly is a you know that's a win, uh, and that's that's like you don't get that unless you actually get in the trenches and you go through sort of machete month or you go through you know a, you know trips abroad or you do you do stuff which 
push the boundaries of you know of finding out who that person is um how did the coaches respond to those sort of conflicts i mean i've yeah. been involved in teams where they'd almost encourage um that competition to boil over it was a sign for the coaches that were on it this week whereas i've been in other teams yeah. and it's becoming you know more like this now whereby um it would be discouraged you know once it boils over that's considered you've lost control and it's yeah. uh, it's a bad thing what were the reactions of coaches that you've had to sort of we, I, again i think we went on a bit of a journey with this mm. we tried for the first <laughs> two three years to like it was all about talking don't get me wrong we could have yeah. direct conversations but the, there was a lot of focus on you know everyone loves everyone that kind of that kind of vibe and we we started to layer on like, i think i think from the England guys, to be fair to them, and not just England guys, but obviously within the group, we're understanding we needed to push on. Uh, we need to expect more from each other, be able to blow up at each other and not see that as a sign of, we don't love each other anymore. Mm. So, the, and, and even within our culture, we had people who were on the real emotional, emotional side, people who were on the mm. uh, much more uh, hard-nosed, hard performance-based side, and everything in between. So... Um, uh, so I think we we start to have more confrontation and understand how better to like make that make us better or use that to make us better. Um, coach, I think inevitably got to a place where I think they quite liked it. They quite liked a bit of boil over. Training got really. I mean, our, our Tuesday sessions. I don't know what it got. I don't know since I left, but they're like it was it was really high intensity. In fact, I always found it really interesting. Players would come join us from other clubs, and the first thing they say. Mm. Is that Tuesday session never felt intensity like that in a session? You got you more got more so than the game. More more so than previous clubs. Right. Oh, sorry. Yeah. In terms of their training, it's like the coaches are putting pressure on us. You got our our leaders are. There's a lot of expectation. I think that's what we grew to, and I think that came out of tough conversations. And you know, someone like an Owen, for example, hats hats off to him the way he's gone about his career. He, he says it as it is. He knows what he wants. He knows his expectations are very clear from a ten perspective. From a ten, and we, we improved because of that. That the the cohort of England players, I think, coming in and and adding that performance element to it. Um, but you can you can make this a bit too broad brush as well, can't you? Mm. Because like someone like a Skulk Brits is very much on the emotional side, but he's one of the most competitive yeah. players you can ever imagine. I guess maybe not another long-winded answer for me but going way back to your communication thing on and off the field what is crystallizing in my head as we're having this discussion all, all we try to do and I think any team during the week's build-up all the conversations whether it's review whether it's feedback whether it's preview whether it's Cruzo doing line outs is get everyone into a place when they get onto the pitch that you're um, everyone's aligned and feeling good about themselves and it's like this clear plan so I think all of, we, we tried to drive all of that communication and understand how to talk to each other. So everyone arrived in game day feeling great. And some people, and coaches spent a lot of time thinking through that. Some people need messages in different ways. The group needs a message in a certain way on a Tuesday. You might need to get knocked down on a Tuesday and then pulled back up on a Thursday in terms of a team meeting. Um, players like, like Cruz are running the second row and own and Wiggy with being nine at ten would would have a way of communicating that was quite confrontational but it spurred us on so don't know if I answered any questions there. <laughs> is that what we're doing here questions yeah uh, anything to add on that I mean in, in England environments perhaps mm. just to, to draw a slight contrast yeah um, what was sort of 
you've got a potentially a more of a hot pot is that a phrase of a melting pot perhaps that's yeah. hot pot's like hot pot. yeah. I'm, 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 I'm actually a bit hungry <laughs> yeah that's maybe hungry <laughs> melting pot yeah. of um, yeah, people coming from different clubs different expectations different ways of doing things how's that felt out I mean do you have many relationships there when you come into camp for the first time other than your own teammates from from your club and what's the conflict potential mm. in a week there it, it could be like it could be a, a daunting place you know like you've got high expectations from media or whatever um from you know players in your group but ultimately the biggest one's probably yourself um i think like every every team every club will have a like a leadership group and there's ways to feed back feed that back in and as long as they're picked like quite sensibly and they've got a range of like people who represent a range of different people so like your you know your more emotional or your more process driven people then i think it's good i think if you're all one one side um you know, or if the squad has been made up of people who are all one side, or then that can be pretty unhealthy. Um, but I think, I think in especially in England, like we had a coach majority of the time there when I was there was was Eddie, and you know, very clear cut. You can sit down, have a conversation with him. He'll tell you what you think, and if you're, you know, if if you've got the relationship with him to tell you what what you think, then I think that's very very healthy. Um, He's been, he, much like Brendan, I think, is very clear in what he wants. Um, you know, he'll be very open on and say, like, you didn't do this well enough, that's why you dropped. There'll always be a reason for it, uh, which I think as as a player, definitely I've respected a lot. Um, but I think, yeah, within within the team, like, we were probably quite fortunate a lot of the time there. We, you know, we had the backbone of those decision makers being from Saracen. So a lot of that, you know, for a good six years, I'd say, would be, would have been pretty similar um but yeah ultimately as long as there's a, a wide range of people who represent different views i think then like you can have your, your voice heard and there's a platform to, to to be to be to be listened to i guess perfect so just sort of the last topic for the last few minutes just to wrap up um around we sort of touched on it earlier around um how saracens looks after you what you guys are doing now because i think that's something that's um been very a big part of my life seeing rugby players come across mm. out of rugby into into other domains where there's not much laid on for them to make that transition and it can be a bit of a bump in the road whereas I get the impression from Saracens that that they've been quite good at trying to get you set up for, for life after rugby. Um, Chris, what was that like for you, that journey out of rugby and, and what was in place to help you? Yeah, we did. The, um, Saracens had a sort of PDP which is quite normal now I think amongst most clubs but... Um, a PDP sort of department, I guess, ran by Dave Priestley and now David player, Jones. Player development. Player development program where you would, you know, uh, they would um, encourage you to look at study or life after rugby. And um, so we just engaged, with, you know, most of the players engaged with that. So, um, yeah, they, they created a platform to be able to to explore what you wanted to do. And in my case, um, interested to set a business up and instead of putting up... Uh, hurdles they just made it easier for you to do that so in our case you know we decided to buy a double decker bus and turn it into a into a bar and the, the i mean it sounds ridiculous but the main thing was when we went to the club said so we're starting a beer company it's not exactly aligned with performance and we also want to put it in the stadium they they found ways to make it work because it's wolf pack wolf pack like yeah to make to make it work rather than put up barriers and i i think that was reflective of of um not just if you want to set up a business, but if you want to study and get an MBA or get another degree, it was it was all about removing the hurdles and making it accessible and possible. 
Um, so yeah, it, it, it allowed us to set up a business and then you know flow into, from rugby into that business, which makes the transition a lot easier. Fantastic. And what about for you, George? Uh, yeah, He's building I, an empire. Are you? I, I think, what what um, are you doing? Uh, I've got a wellness company called 4-5, um, and I, I, I pulled the trigger to retire early to go into that. So, um, But I think from a from a business point of view, as, as Sari's looking at, you know, um, an, an investment into study, investment into culture, I guess is, is what you could call it. It's, it's smart, you know, like they're, they, the rule of thumb we, when we were growing up, which was anyone under 25 needs to be doing something, whether it's trades, of course, whether it's university, whether it's doing one day a week. So, so that is a rule of thumb, brilliant. Players can buy into that. But I think what happens, what happens when they do that is you get players who are, okay, so I was like, all right, well, I'm going to then do a four-year course at Hertfordshire University. It then makes it a lot more sticky for me to be at that club um, you know, and then they go, okay, well, let's help you set up a company or let's help you, you know, give you contacts which can help set up companies and all those sort of things. Then, my, my, you know, my roots get a little bit deeper in that club. As a result, they can get the player a little bit cheaper. You know, they can, you know, you're more, you're closer to market value. You're, you're less likely to leave. In turn, you then, you know, you have less player turnover, which I've yarned on about probably a bit too much. But I think it is important because you can, with less player turnover, you can sim out the ones you don't want. You can bring in the ones you do want, but you can build. You can build a, a, a company or a business, or you can build a, uh, a team that you know you've got that IP that stays there. And then the next season, you can build. All right, well, we'll do this little bit extra in in a kick chase or in this attacking move. And because everyone, you know, ninety percent of the people understand and have that knowledge from the previous year and understand about the, the culture and all that the effort they've put into that, that's when I think you start getting like. I don't know, compounded, whatever. You know, that's when you start going, getting the gains, which you can then go and win European trophies and so on. So I think from a business decision, them to prioritise, you know, get, keeping people busy off-field, whereas it might be another club might be going, oh, what, oh, we don't want Wilesy doing a degree because that's taking their eye off the ball, um, you know, and that might be seen as ne negative. I think that's the real archaic, stupid way to look at stuff. I think if you can keep people... Interested, keep people learning, um, keep people stimulated, which we talked about earlier, but ultimately keep people's roots going a little bit deeper, deeper so they stay in the same place. Um, you know, you get all the added benefit of people being there longer and then you can start to win some trophies. Amazing. Thank that you. A, that was a nice little monologue, that. Sorry, I went I like on that one. one there. I like that one. Sorry. That's your keynote. It's a keynote. Yeah, that's your keynote speech. It's just important, you know. No, no, no. It's good. You build the relationship. Yeah, no, it's good. It's a bad time to say we haven't started recording. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm off. Sorry, kid. <laughs> Any final closing comments from either of you? Then just with me to say thank you so much for donating some time today. I think it's fascinating hearing about what it's actually like, both as a player, but as, as part of a team that's had big success and what contributes to that success. And, and hearing the different perspectives, especially where there are periods in time where you're not actually in the mm. team together, is incredibly valuable. And um, yeah, thank you both again. Thanks for having me. Thank you. fascinating episode with Chris Wiles and George Cruz just translating some of the uh, aspects of their culture that informed how they played and how they acted uh, as a group 
we talked about storytelling. We talked about the concept of the wolf pack and how that was brought to life by the coaches bringing in uh, two wolves. I don't know whether that qualifies as a pack, but two wolves into the ground to inspire the players and really get their message across about the hard work and determination they wanted to bring and the aggressiveness they wanted to bring into um, their gameplay. We talked about how the club and the player had a contract, a psychological contract, whereby the player's part of the bargain was to perform, uh, put, put the maximum effort in at every stage of the, of the process, whether that's in training, whether that's in session, team sessions and communication, or whether that's on the pitch. And the club's role was to support that player and their extended family and look at the, the player in a more holistic way rather than just as a player who's going to perform for you, looking at uh, ways in which the club could support and look after their, their family units. Um, and those ideas can be taken into business. Uh, the, the idea of culture and performance and how they interlink really came through strongly, whereby the values on the wall at Saracens were not just values that stayed on the wall. They were in, lived and breathed in every conversation and in, in the way they played the game. Thank you so much for listening. You will find our podcasts on all major streaming outlets. So go find others that we have recorded. I think there's some fascinating stuff there that's really good fun. So please do enjoy. And you can find out more details about My People Group by visiting our website, mypeoplegroup.com. Thank you.